Hello and welcome to For What It's Earth, your weekly environment, climate change and sustainability podcast where we make big issues bite-sized and explore the little things that you and I can do to make a little bit of a big difference. I'm Emma and I'm joined not by Lloyd this week but by podcaster Dave Gardner, host of the Growth Busters podcast and the Overpopulation podcast. Hi Dave. Hi there, it's great to be here. (laughs) Thanks so much for being here. So in this episode, as uh, listeners might have guessed by the two podcasts that I've just name dropped there, we're going to be looking at overpopulation. So perhaps you can kick us off nicely uh, with maybe a definition. What is overpopulation? What are we facing here? Well, that's a great question. Thanks for that. Uh, It really kind of springs from, I think, a a bigger concept, which is overshoot. Uh, And that is uh, a condition I think we're in today where the the scale of the human enterprise has really outgrown the planet. We are uh, such a big force on the planet that we are now... Uh, pushing other species into extinction. We're pumping major rivers and aquifers dry. We're uh, turning fertile soil into deserts, uh, collapsing fisheries, disrupting the climate, and really crippling Earth's uh, life-supporting ecosystems and damaging their ability to meet our needs in the future. And that's all just because of how big we are. And, And I think there's two main multipliers that determine our impact. One is how many of us there are, mm-hmm. uh, so that's population. And then the other is the way we're behaving, which is our level of consumption, or you could even say the size of our global economy. And so I think it's safe so to say- So we're starting really positively here. <laughs> yeah, safe to say both of those, we're, we're kind of getting a failing grade right now. Okay, and so there is, there's nearly, what, nearly 8 billion of us on the planet right now. I think that's one of the latest figures, isn't it? We're well on our way to 8 billion. Rapidly approaching that, yeah. It's so it's safe to say then that yes, we would define the planet right now as overpopulated. Uh, definitely, the the most serious scientific uh, inquiry into what would be a sustainable population level puts it at uh, one or two or three billion people, le- less than half the number alive today. But of course, the answer to that question depends on our level of consumption. If we were all mm. living like uh, like monks or nuns, uh, very, very simple lives, it could be that uh, we wouldn't be overpopulated today. Uh, if everyone if everyone in the world were living like people in what I call the overdeveloped world, a lot of people just call it the developed world, but I think we've overdone it. <laughs> so I call it the overdeveloped world, the industrialized okay, world. If, I like that. If all 7.8 billion uh, today were living like like we are in the overdeveloped world, then we would be we would need five planet Earths to sustainably meet our needs. So that's definitely Gosh, five. Yeah. That is a lot. That's overpopulation in a nutshell. See, that's interesting, isn't it? Because I guess one of the questions you probably get asked quite a lot is, you know, is there a perfect number? But uh, no, really, there, there isn't a perfect number. It's fluid depending on how much, how many resources we're using kind of per unit, per person and things. Exactly. Yeah. That's interesting. And I, I think most people don't really think about that. They don't think about what am I willing, what kind of lifestyle am I willing to live if I really want to have a sustainable human civilization and a decent shot at decent lives for future generations. And I think if they really ask themselves that question, most of the richest billion people would really change their ways. That would be nice, wouldn't it? How do we, um, how do we get them to do that? Any top Well, tips? I think one of the ways is uh, by uh, producing the For What It's Earth podcast. I think that you're doing your part. Oh, thanks. Yeah. 
<laughs> I'm not sure that the world's uh, richest are listening to for what it's worth, but well, I hope <laughs> I hope they maybe are. Maybe one day. Yeah, I hope they are, and I intend to uh, tell more people about it. I, I really, I think your mission. I get the sense that it's probably pretty similar to the mission of the Growthbusters podcast, which is to kind of wake people up and and help move them toward being maybe almost as obsessive about their life lifestyle and their footprint as you and I are probably. Yeah, definitely. Oh, I'm glad you said that. Um, yeah, we're, we're definitely all for starting conversation and just trying to get people to think about what they're doing and what their kind of impact is. And, you know, that not shaming people like a lot of the media kind of says, you know, you have to be doing everything perfectly. Um, and I just don't think that's sustainable. Nobody's going to be doing everything perfectly. But yeah, it's just kind of getting people to think and to understand. And, and one of the things, one of the reasons I really want to talk to you actually about overpopulation is because it's one of those things that is really important to be talking about in the kind of climate change conversation. But it is, I don't know if it's different in the States, but it doesn't really appear in mainstream media in the UK. Like it's not a part of the conversation. That is a pet peeve of mine. And that is one of the reasons why I started the Overpopulation podcast. Uh, and it is also one of the main driving forces behind a, a new initiative that I want to share with you uh, during this episode. Yeah, we're going to do something about that because the truth is if you you don't hear enough about it, and I think that's because it's uncomfortable to talk about. Mm. People seem to be more comfortable talking about whether you fly too much or drive too much or uh, should be taking the train or should be v vegan instead of a meat eater, uh, the size of your house and that kind of thing. People are a little more comfortable having that conversation than they are having a conversation about what might be a real responsible and wise family size decision. Yeah, absolutely. And and how do you have that conversation then with people? Well, actually, that's kind of leading into another thing first. But I mean, first, what problems, you know, does overpopulation cause? Let's just strip it right to the basics. Why are we worried about overpopulation? And then we'll have a look at what we can actually do about it. Well, that kind of takes me back to that overshoot checklist that I kind of rattled off the things like, uh, like climate disruption. Mm. Um, you know, carbon emissions, everybody's got, everyone who's thinking about sustainability these days uh, has carbon emissions on their mind mm. and and they're trying to change their behavior, reduce their personal carbon emissions as well as the emissions of the system. Well, if it matters how big your carbon footprint is, then it certainly matters how many people there are with carbon footprints. Yeah. Every one of us, all, all almost 8 billion of us on the planet today are living our lives, needing shelter, transportation, food, et cetera. And there's a, a carbon footprint attached to that. So the, the climate crisis, uh, people might be really shocked at uh, the fact that actually choosing to conceive one fewer child is the most powerful carbon reduction action that you can choose according to a couple of scientific studies. So that's big. Um, but of course, there's, there's some that are just quality of life, like Traffic congestion, mm. uh, housing affordability, uh, you know, the, the price of concert tickets, how long you have to wait in line to renew your passport or your driver's yeah. license. But <laughs> those, are, those are pretty far down the list, I think, for people like you and me because we're, we just have this oversized conservation ethic. So I'm more inclined to be thinking about, uh, well, just the demands that we're placing on the fresh water, limited fresh water on mm. the planet, uh, how much energy we're using, um, for fertile soil. We're doing a lot of damage to the soils of the planet in order to really do a lousy job of feeding 
the 7.8 billion people on the planet today. So those are some of the big, big ones. Yeah, often when we talk about overpopulation, it does seem to be that food is probably the first thing that comes up, this fight for resources. I like that you've put the focus on the the carbon footprint that we have um, as individuals. But yeah, generally, I think a lot of the conversations that I've heard have been, how on earth are we going to feed that many people? And where are we going to put them? Especially with things like, um, if we're going to be experiencing increased like sea level rises, and there's going to be less available land, um, and kind of coastal areas are going to suffer, you know, where are people going to to live properly and, and be able to set up their homes and their families? Yeah. And if you, if you want to talk about food for a minute, there's some interesting things I've found out in, in my research. And, you know, and I'm not a, I'm not a scientist. I'm a communicator, kind of a journalist. And so I look to, to other experts and, and I don't pretend to be able to do a better job of analyzing the data than they, than they can. <laughs> I think you kind of operate the same way, right? Yep. We're science communicators here. <laughs> yeah. So um, I know that the, the scientists that have looked closely at this are predicting that for every degree Celsius of uh, warming that we have, that we'll lose mm. about 10% of the agricultural yield on uh, planet-wide. Uh, Gosh, that, 10% is a huge yeah, amount, yeah. That's huge. Plus, I've also heard that uh, a year ago, I heard that we had about 30 good harvests left before the soil of the planet is pretty well just shot. You know, and as oh you, my gosh. Yeah. As you know, today, the only reason our, that we can even grow food is because we, um, in, in mass quantities, is because we artificially uh, supplement the soil. We've been so hard on it that we have to put a bunch of artificial fertilizer and, and nutrients yeah. into the soil just to grow. And uh, of course, that's creating ocean dead zones. And the way we do this mass industrial agriculture is also one of the biggest uh, causes of carbon emissions on the planet too. So we we can't keep that up. Uh, so I think <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I think the number of people we'll be able to feed on the planet in 30 years is going to be far fewer than the people that are just walking the earth today. So that's a big concern. It's so important to have these conversations then, isn't it? To discuss this um, uncomfortable truth, as it were, that there are too many people and we're projected to have even more and we physically don't think we're going to be able to sustain them. How do you, you know, how do you go about having those conversations? How do you talk to people and say, look, maybe think about your family planning? Because obviously you can't go ahead and just say, you know, I'm going to put restrictions on what you can and can't do with your body and how you're going to have your family and this, that and the other. Like, that's just such a explosive argument to even touch on. But but so so what do you do? Obviously, everyone talks about education and making contraception free and things. And, and those, are, I assume, are two very good, powerful tools. But is that it? Well, that's what we've been scratching our heads about at uh, World Population Balance, uh, trying to figure that out because... Uh, you mentioned that you mentioned the conversation stoppers. If if someone says uh, you are, we think we ought to pass a law that f forbids you to have uh, more than one child or more than mm. two children. You know, um, that's sort of been tried. It's actually been you know fine. You know, families have been fined in in China and the the famous Ch China one pile, one child policy uh, had horrific human rights abuses. Mm. Big mistakes were made, and and that's a part of the ugly history, and that's one of the things that makes it hard to talk about. But it's kind of like if you took your car in to the mechanic to get something fixed, and the mechanic did something to to fix it, but uh, and it cost you a lot of money to 
to make the fix. Let's say you replace the transmission, mm -hmm. and it turned out that wasn't the problem. Uh, that there was a that was, the mechanic made a big mistake. Do you then stop trying to fix the car because of that horrible mistake? You might go to a different mechanic. You might <laughs> want to use slightly different methods, but you're still going to try to fix yeah, okay. uh, the automobile. Although, perfect world, you'll give up the car and you'll just start walking and riding your bike. But Or an electric um, car. That helps, yeah. But not perfect, as you know. Yeah. So the same deal is with uh, population. Just because uh, there were some really poor versions of addressing the overpopulation problem in the past uh, doesn't mean that we shouldn't address it. What we have to do, though, is we have to – I think we have to communicate really sensitively about it. Mm. We have to make sure that people understand, first of all, uh, if we're advocating for sustainable population, we're not suggesting that we – don't need to focus on the other big multiplier in the sustainability equation, our level of consumption. Yeah. You know, we don't we don't get a pass on that. I think very few people are advocating smaller families and, and working on the overpopulation dilemma so that they can keep flying in private jets and, you know, have, you know, three house three houses 10,000 square feet in the uh, in the mountains and on the beaches and all that. Um but so so we, you know, we have to come at it from a more holistic viewpoint, and 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 not just say this is the only solution. Forget the other solutions. It's a two pronged solution. I think that's an important part of the conversation. Another one is you're right. You can't tell somebody what to do mm. in this department, especially. Uh, so what you what we want to do with uh, with our new uh, one planet one child campaign that I'll share with you whenever you're ready. Um, what we want to do is we want to just encourage couples around the world to be better informed, yep. to make informed decisions. I really believe that if if a couple is fully armed with the knowledge of uh, the degree of overshoot that we're in and the understanding of uh, the implications of their family size decision on the quality of life of their offspring or other children of the world, that they'll make a really loving decision about family size and no one has to coerce them to do that and no one has to uh, even insist. Mm. I, I suppose if someone asked me for my recommendation, I might recommend uh, a small family size decision. I actually, uh, a month after I had my second child, I was off to the, get a vasectomy. Um, but that was you know what? That was thirty years ago mm. when I thought stopping at two was was adequate. And you know, we've for thirty more years we've continued to uh, overpopulate and overpopulate. And so, if I was going to be making the decision today, I would probably have got, gotten the vasectomy after just one child. Really? Oh, that's interesting. Because yeah, a lot of people think or have said when I've spoken to people about this topic, having said, oh, you know, I'm going to be speaking to you about it, wanted to get people's views. A lot of people said, you know, two for two is kind of. Um, the the fair thing isn't it um the argument would be you know you're replacing yourself um as it were but then of course not everyone does two for two so then somebody if you were trying to keep a population um stable some families would have to have less than two to mitigate for the families that are having more than two but then also we're, we're living longer and we're living better aren't we so we're, we're yeah. facing an aging population and people are living for much longer so we're kind of endlessly growing yeah exactly so, so I did a little bit of math, 
uh, and I want to credit a, a filmmaker, Terry Spar, for kind of simplifying the math for me. I don't know if you've heard of his new film, Eight Billion Angels, but uh, he was a guest on the Overpopulation podcast recently. I did listen and to that episode, actually. Yes, I'm going to watch that film. We'll put a very, link to it in the show notes of our of our podcast listeners so you can watch it as well. Great, great idea because he's a he's a really smart guy and he and he said you know if you look at the global footprint network data it suggests that we I think last year their best estimate was that uh, all the people of the world were using the renewable resources of the planet every year at a rate that. Uh, far beyond what the planet can actually renew every year and that we would need 1.7 planet Earths to keep up with the level of consumption uh, of everyone around the world. So we're approaching two fast, quickly. The trend is two, and I forget what year the Footprint Network is suggesting we'll hit two, but that's almost a foregone conclusion. Uh, so right there, if you want to just do kind of back of the napkin uh, calculation, uh, you need to. We need to cut in half uh, the scale of the human enterprise, and that means uh, cut somewhat away from our consumption or the global economy. Mm. Global economy, the GDP of the world, is a pretty good approximation of our level of consumption and the damage we're doing, or and some amount of population. We could cut uh, both of them in half and be sustainable. Okay. Or we could or we could say, you know what, it's too uncomfortable to talk about overpopulation. Let's just do it all uh, at the level of overconsumption. So we're going to cut the global economy in half. Now, if we do that and we do it fairly, so everyone, all 8 billion people on, on the planet are, are living equal lives and using an equal share of the planet's resources – uh, if you do the math, looking at how many trillions of dollars the global economy is, it, mm. it gives each of us about $5,000 US a year to work with. Yeah. Wow. Yes. I mean, I mean, are you going to sign up to live on $5,000 a year? I don't know how many pounds is that these days or euros? About 4,000. Not, it's not going to get you very no. far, to be honest, is it? But then, I mean, I suppose if you were adjusting the economy, I'd, I don't know. I mean, the instant shock of being told you'd have to live on under 5,000 US dollars, your first thought is I can't. Yeah. I, it would be. I, in my current life, it would be. It a, wouldn't work. It would be huge, huge. So, mm. you know, I, I'm, I'm going to assume that if everybody has that knowledge and we had like this big community meeting, uh, all 7.8 billion of us, you <laughs> oh, know. What the, a great image. That would be brilliant, <laughs> wouldn't, wouldn't be cool? it? <laughs> we would probably decide, okay, we're not going to cut the global economy in half. We're going to maybe trim that 25% or something and, and try mm. to have more fair distribution. But we're obviously going to have to really do something about our numbers. 8 billion people is too many. We can't just stabilize our population. We need mm. to let it contract. And so that's why uh, stopping at two children today as an average around the world uh, isn't really a solution because it basically would just stabilize our population at an overpopulated state. Um, so the thinking today is that we really need to be moving more toward a, a one-child family norm and some people might think that's a stretch, but you know we've we have made a lot of progress from 1960. The global average fertility rate was about six, and we've gotten it down to less than two and a half without doing anything crazy. You know, which is kind of almost almost the same as birth rate. Oh, okay. Uh, so the people of the world have demonstrated. That that's what they want to do anyway. You know, they didn't need any draconian laws or uh, 
or anyone telling them what to do. They just, as as women became better educated and had opportunities to have uh, meaning in their lives besides just being mothers, they just, and and they finally gave up on men ever really pitching in around the house. <laughs> they said, "No, I don't think I want six kids." <laughs> Exactly. And I think also the power of contraception in the last couple of decades as well. We're suddenly able to make those choices for ourselves. Totally, totally. Yeah. Yeah. So um, my suggestion is we just need to uh, accelerate that progress because we really are now in, in a global emergency. Uh, you know, we don't have, we can't wait a couple hundred years for population, for human population to, to peak and then slowly contract down, back down to a sustainable level. We need to kind of goose that. Uh, we need to get to uh, a one child average around the world as quickly as we can without uh, too much disruption. And that's why uh, the One Planet, One Child campaign that we're about to launch, we're launching it in the United States to begin with. Mm. And people people will say, well, shoot, the fertility rate in the United States is 1.7. Mission accomplished. No, it? <laughs> <laughs> it's not. Uh, because you know, the U.S. is one of, you know, people in the United States are some of the biggest over-consumers. And even people in, in Europe are uh, bigger over-consumers than most of the, the world. So just because you're below replacement rate, uh, fertility rate, doesn't mean that your work is done. Mm. You, know, you know, we all need to get our population to peak sooner and contract back down to uh, what's more sustainable. So, um, so all the problems that you and I have talked about, we've been thinking about this. It's been bugging us that people have a hard time talking about it. And as a result, we don't get good uh, journalism. The reporting on it is uh, is pretty abysmal, uh, uninformed when it happens. And uh, well, I don't think there's an and to that. Well, elected officials, I think, is the and. Elected officials mm-hmm. won't touch it with a 10-foot pole. Yeah. Uh, most Many environmentalists are uncomfortable talking about it. And in fact, just uh, in November, the November-December issue of Sierra Magazine put out by the Sierra Club, which is you know a huge environmental organization here in the United mm-hmm. States, uh, a lot of that, that issue seemed to be designed to convince the readers that overpopulation is not a problem. We shouldn't be working on that at all. We should just be working on consumption. Oh, really? And I think that's – yeah. Gosh. I think that's driven by this, you know, the misassumptions, the misinformation. Uh, and one of the assumptions is that if, if you're talking about solving overpopulation, that you are uh, committing some of these unpardonable sins, and they are today. Uh, you're, you know, it, you, we're not talking about a problem that only exists in sub-Saharan Africa. We're not targeting uh, only brown-skinned people. And in fact, uh, this new campaign that we're about to launch, we're going to target Everyone in the United States. Uh, it's an equal opportunity problem to be solved. And so it's we're calling it the One Planet, One Child Billboard Campaign. Okay, go on. Walk me through it. Okay. Well, the reason we chose billboards was because, you know, there have been a, a few countries over the past 50 or 60 years who have – decided on their own within their nation that they needed to get a handle on the growth of their population, that it was keeping their people poor and uh, and that they didn't have the resources to support a growing population. And, and those countries uh, undertook 
these public campaigns that were really very noble, where they just uh, tried to make sure everybody was informed uh, and made, made family planning services uh, free or very inexpensive, very convenient to access. Mm-hmm. And it became, uh, you know, kind of a public a public goal. We're going to move toward smaller families. We're going to have fewer children. Uh, Thailand is a really great example. Michai Viravaidyo was a, a public servant who had a great sense of humor. And in Thailand, he, you know, he had fun with, with condoms. And uh, oh, really? <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, in the 1960s, their fertility rate was over six. It's about one and a half today. Wow. And uh, they had this playful approach they had policemen giving away condoms, and they called that their <laughs> cops and rubbers program. <laughs> oh, my God, that's brilliant. Oh, that yeah. might be my favorite thing about this entire episode. They even had school children, uh, you know, blowing up condoms and, and making uh, animal figures out of them. That's brilliant. Uh, you know, they just they took away the, the, you know, the uncomfortable stigma about, uh, about sex, contraception, reproduction, and family planning. Oh, brilliant. And, and everybody got on board and they discovered that it really was improving their lives. And he became a, a national hero. And there have been uh, a smattering of other nations that have done similar programs. And our thinking is, you know, that's kind of what we need today. If we want to accelerate this progress we're already making, we need a, a public goal. Uh, kind of like, you know, only you can prevent forest fires uh, or just say no to drugs. Okay. Uh, that kind of thing. Yeah, you know? yeah. So what we want to do, we, we don't have millions of dollars in our tiny little war chest at World Population Balance to work with. So we, we have to do something small to demonstrate how this project might work. And if it works well, well, the best that might happen is we might get a phone call from Bill Gates or Warren Buffett who will say, hey, <laughs> I'd like to fund do you want some money? The, the campaign that the <laughs> overdeveloped world really needs. Or, okay. or it could be that the citizens of the world kind of unite behind it and, uh, and suddenly, you know, we might get a, an email or a call from someone in, uh, in England or Scotland or Colombia, uh, anywhere in the world, they might say, "Hey, we would like to sponsor a billboard campaign in our in our town." Okay. Well, we would have the tools oh, where see. we could make we could make that possible. Mm. So we're so we're going to do this trial run where we're going to uh, for one month we're going to put up a big digital billboard uh, in the heart of Minneapolis because that is where World Population Balance headquarters is, mm-hmm. and we're going to do another one between Colorado Springs and Denver, a real high traffic commuting route. The only way this is really going to be a success is if we end up on the front page of the New York Times or the UK Guardian or, or yeah, something no, like that. you've got to get that PR yeah. out there definitely. Yeah. Got to get the earned media. So we're just doing one billboard in each community, uh, but in in really noteworthy places with a mm-hmm. lot of eyeballs going by. And we thought it was, in a way, a little bit ironic that the message uh, about one way to reduce traffic congestion would be seen by people who are suffering in traffic congestion. Uh, of course. <laughs> so that is our plan. And we decided to launch a crowdfunding campaign to raise 
you know, not we're not going to cover all of the costs because we've been working on this and testing messages and stuff for a long time. But we want to at least cover the costs of renting the billboard space. So we're doing a kind of a little crowdfunding campaign, and uh, and as long as we're successful at that, we'll run those two billboards. Uh, and our hope is it'll become a year-round perpetual thing uh, mm. to where the, you know we might even, like I said, we might even expand internationally. Fantastic. I'll be really interested to see what the reaction is to those billboards, actually, and and the impact that you find that you have. That's really exciting. Yeah, you know, the, the reaction is really kind of one of the big stories, and that will kind of drive whether we get uh, journalists interested in reporting on it. Um, because, number one, it's an uncomfortable subject. So no matter what we put on the billboard, if it addresses that subject, it's going to be a little bit attention-getting. It is. It is. But, You're absolutely yeah. right. I can definitely see it peaking local interest. Yeah, but our preference is not to make people mad and not to uh, give people the wrong impression. So we're, uh, we've been very studied and been very careful about coming up with billboards that we think are uh, have a really loving, inviting message that's not preachy. And uh, you can see some samples of it at the at the crowdfunding site if people visit oneplanetonechild.org uh, during the crowdfunding campaign. They'll be able to see the campaign and see some samples of what the billboards are probably going to look like unless somebody changes their mind before we flip the switch on those. And of course, if while they're there, they'll be able to support the campaign and pitch in a little bit, make sure it happens. Of course, we'll put the link in the in the show description as well, if you fancy. I can't thank you that. enough for that. We're such nasty over-consumers in the, in the United States. Uh, we definitely need to start here to uh, trim back on the number of over-consumers that we're bringing into the world every, every day. Um, but but my hope, my fervent hope is that um, either we will expand the program to other countries or organizations and citizens in other countries will say, hey, we want to do that too. Yeah, I mean, uh, it, it's it's very hard to tell other nations to do something or to advise or to hope that they'll do something if you're not, you know, first looking in the mirror and addressing things that are happening in your own country. So I think it sounds like you're going about it the right way. Absolutely. If you could say, look, we've given it a go ourselves. These are our results. Uh, yeah. Like you said, hopefully people will think maybe we'll translate that over here. I'm so glad you said that. You're so right. You're, I, uh, you're just earning uh, your biggest fan here. Um, <laughs> Oh, thank you. <laughs> you know, a lot of times, one of the one of the common misconceptions is overpopulation not a problem in the overdeveloped world. It's a problem in the countries in sub-Saharan Africa where the fertility rates are still above five. Um, and you know what? It is a problem in those countries, and we I think we should support. Uh, efforts in those countries to make uh, family planning widely available and to uh, increase education and opportunities for, for women and empower women, all the things that will help them to make responsible family size decisions because their lives aren't going to get any better if they if they keep having such big families. Mm -hmm. But you know what? If we're sitting here in the overdeveloped world and we're not doing anything about it, you know, they're not going to accept our help and our advice very graciously. Why would they? Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, so we got to clean up our own backyard uh, first if we want to help anyone else in their backyard. That leads me really nicely on to, so I, I got some listener questions. Are you up for answering a couple of questions from our listeners? Oh, I'm up for the challenge. Why not? Brilliant. Well, so the first one we've got from listener Hannah, who um, 
sent in, which is pretty much kind of what you've just covered there, um, that, you know, you, you've touched on in a lot of developing countries. A lot of people think, oh, well, they have massive families, so maybe they're the first place to start. But but actually, in a lot of developing countries, or in some, certainly there are some communities where women don't actually have control over their own contraception, where, you know, the male figure in that family is the one that's making that decision. So we're all, you know, what, you know how do you tackle this? Like, how are you empowering women um, through education then, I suppose? Well... Uh, first of all, I'm not going to claim that I'm in that I'm doing it. Uh, I'm hope, hoping to set the stage so that more people in the overdeveloped world can support good programs that do that. Um, but okay, perhaps yeah, perhaps then we as um, people or communities that are in a position to help with the overpopulation crisis, as you've called it, not not so much you as an individual. <laughs> Oh, yeah. But, um, you know, certainly there's never enough aid. You know, we do not fund family planning services at the level that we need to. And the U.S. is particularly guilty at this moment in that. So the more uh, the more educated people are in the U.S. about the overpopulation situation, I think we'll be able to increase that support. And I think for somebody in Europe or uh, in the U.K. or North America or Australia, uh, Probably funding may be almost one of the one of the only ways you can do mm. that because it's really challenging for you and your culture to really have an impact on someone in another culture that you don't understand. Absolutely. Now, if you want to pack your bags and 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 move and and spend years in in a nation helping them to uh, to educate women and uh, and find the path to where women have the. Uh, you know, the authority, you know, have the right and, and aren't under the thumb of the men who think that having seven kids is in, in their country is the same as somebody driving a huge pickup truck in the United States. That's a sign of your manhood. Um, <laughs> you know, but short of a few people being able to go over, over there and help, I think we need to help them help themselves. We need to give them the resources and not tell them what to do, but say, if you're interested in mm. uh, improving your situation, we're behind you. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Okay, next question. We've got one from Karen who says, um, you know, what's the impact of our aging population? Well, I'm sure she's referring to the fact that if uh, that it's already happening somewhat as uh, pe the people of the world choose to have smaller families, we're going through this temporary bubble where we're having f fewer young people, um, but, we, but we're having a lot of older people from the, the days when families were bigger. So yeah. this, this bubble of uh, aging people moves through the, through the population. Now, eventually they all uh, perish and that problem goes away. It's a temporary problem. Mm -hmm. um, it does create a few challenges. Uh, people are worried about how the young people can fund the pensions, the retirement obligations, the health care needs of that aging population. Um, but I'll tell you, Emma, those are pretty minor problems, and there are uh, they're, they're smaller problems than the economists like us to think because the economists want us all to get busy incubating more workers and consumers. Okay. They don't want us to know that uh, that it's not that big a problem. Uh, the truth is that uh, we're going to have fewer young workers, so they're worried about the economy, but we're going to have this older population that needs help, that needs health care. So that's going to create jobs. Oh, that's true. Uh, yeah. And we're also going to have uh, fewer costs of taking care of kids 
because we have fewer kids. So we really just shift some of the money that today has been going into uh, the education system and taking care of our young people until they're of working age. And we put some of those resources into taking care of the older people. Uh, so that minimizes that problem. And of course, as you know, uh, that's really a minor inconvenience compared to the inconvenience of driving human civilization off of a cliff. Yeah. You know? <laughs> we can't just keep on making more babies uh, to keep a Ponzi scheme going. Every Ponzi scheme has to come to an end. <laughs> I like that you've just you know, referred to humanity as a, as a Ponzi scheme. That's brilliant. <laughs> Unfortunate. Okay. And then the, the last one then from Andrew is he wants to know, what do you think will happen first? We'll either have population decrease because we've all gone to war because there are not enough resources. So we're fighting over that or population decrease because we physically can't feed ourselves and there's starvation that happens. Well, those are two good possibilities, uh, bad possibilities, really. So war, starvation, mm. uh, epidemic. Um, what I'm working hard to do and what the One Planet, One Child billboard campaign is all about is this other possibility, which is that uh, the human race wises up and embraces the most elegant solution, which is that we we take charge of our demographic de destiny and we move quickly to, toward a one-child family average, uh, and just in time to save ourselves. If we if we could flip a switch and we averaged one-child families starting tomorrow, a hundred years from now, guess what size of our population would be? Oh, you preempted my question. I was just going to ask that. Um, uh, I don't know. Is it is it enough if we if we stop now, as it were, we go straight to if everyone from now on just went to a one-child family? A um, hundred a hundred years of that, we would be back uh, below four billion. Oh, okay, wow. Um, which is pretty s s shocking, really. That, that's quite a quick turnaround, yeah. Yeah. Most people think, oh, overpopulation, you can't do anything about it, and it would take forever to solve the problem. Well, it isn't easy to get, you know, we can't just flip a switch and get to one-child families overnight. But uh, but mathematically, uh, it is workable, and, uh, you know, we're probably going to solve the problem a little bit more slowly. But it does give me a little bit of help that if we can – you know, get the, you know, if we can make world population peak in five or 10 or even 20 years instead of in 80 years, as the UN scenarios are suggesting, mm. um, that gives us a fighting chance of really uh, solving the climate crisis. Uh, because if we, you know, if we just power the entire global economy with uh, with renewable energy and drive electric cars, but there's 11 billion of us in 2100 doing that, you know, we're not going to have Still not solved work. the problem. Yeah. Mm. What a note to end on. Um, you've said you've listened to Ford at Earth before. Did you notice our regular segment, What One Good Thing Have You Done This Week? I did. So you can't, uh, you can't ambush me with that. <laughs> <laughs> have you, have you got something? Have you got something to bring to the table? Have you done have something, something good for the planet this week? Other obviously than, you know, your, your work. Yeah. And we were doing that, uh, something similar in the Growth Busters podcast for a while and we kind of fell out of the habit and I've been trying to talk Erica, my co-host into getting back on the train with that. Uh, and usually I have some that people might think are pretty silly because I like to, uh, I'm kind of proud of the fact that I'm pretty obsessive compulsive about shrinking my footprint, but far from perfect still. Um, mm -hmm. But I, what I have to share with you, I am particularly proud of because it's really pretty big. 
Oh, okay. All right, are you, drum roll, please. Yeah. So, so I have to travel. I'm in Colorado. I have to travel to Ogden, Utah in March to, to speak at the Intermountain Sustainability Summit. Now, what I've decided to do, and I've taken care of that this week, is uh, I didn't make uh, reservations to fly. I didn't make plans to drive. I bought pl- uh, train tickets. I'm actually brilliant. This is you're talking to a guy who's had way too many flights in his life. I used I was a filmmaker working for Fortune 500 companies for most of my adult years, and I was flying all over the world. Uh, You know, every other week I was on a plane. Uh, It was just insane, and I'm so sorry I did that. Please forgive me. Um, But I had you know. So the habit for me, if I have to be somewhere, is to you know get on the internet and start looking at the cost of plane tickets. But I am so excited that there's actually an Amtrak train from Denver, Colorado to Salt Lake City. That's close enough, so I'm taking the train. That's brilliant. So for someone in the UK who doesn't really know, (laughs) my American geography is not that great. How far is that that you're traveling then? Oh, I didn't anticipate that question. It's got to be. you know, the flight would just be a couple of hours. The train is 15 hours. So what do you think? A couple thousand miles or? Yeah. I mean, I took a, an overnight train through Sweden, which probably took about 15 hours as well. Um, fair play. Well done. Yeah. A couple of hours in a plane is a great thing to have reduced. Yeah. And you know what? It's not fun to fly anymore. And it really is kind of fun to travel by train, I think. So you just mentioned that you used to be a filmmaker. That's a that's a total different path to what you, you know, how did you go from working with Fortune 500 companies to suddenly investing all your time and energies into matters of sustainability? What, what flipped that switch for you? Well, I was a professional communicator so the you know I'm using the kind of the same skill set uh, okay. and, and I was uh, and I learned the art of spin and propaganda uh, you know I created I'm kind of ashamed they're again ashamed of some of the spin and propaganda I created for these big big businesses and I finally just mm. got you know what I finally I refound my moral compass and I said I cannot keep telling those stories there's a much more important story to tell so little did I know I was taking a vow to become a starving artist but my life <laughs> I love my life so much more today You've got to love what you do yeah. though What about you what good thing did you do this week Oh very well done Um yours is much better than mine <laughs> So I recently read an article about the carbon footprint of the internet And in it, it listed, um, you know, the carbon footprint of your emails, of being on Facebook and of using your phone all these times. So um, when I just had a couple of hours to spare, one evening I was watching TV, being nice and lazy. And I just thought, okay, I'm going to use this time slightly more productively. And I went through all of my old emails and deleted my absolutely massive junk mail and deleted mail and unopened mails from, you know, from email addresses that I don't even use anymore. I unsubscribed to all of the junk mail that just keeps coming through because loads of energy is required to run the internet, to run the servers that are storing all of this data and to send and transmit information. But you don't think about it, do you? You think, oh, okay, like I'm sending emails. It's so much better than sending like a physical letter where I'm cutting down trees to make the paper and then it's going um, Mm -hmm. in the postal system and being transported by fossil Mm -hmm. fuels. So you think, hey, emails are carbon free. And it just really shocked me to think, of course they're not. We use so much energy for everything that we do that's digital these days. And um, so, uh, you know, it's not getting a train instead of flying, but I have vastly deleted some of my internet presence. And it's quite an easy thing for other people. Well, to I read do. your post about that on oh, Facebook. Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, and I and I love that. And I think um, I think you made the point that uh, sure, you know, sending an email has a footprint. It's going to be a lot less footprint than mm. 
using snail mail. Um, but I had I hadn't thought about the just the fact that the energy running the servers that are storing all of those emails that I haven't deleted. Um, I did read recently that uh, video playing video over the internet is uh, has a huge footprint. Much bigger oh, really? than sending emails back and forth. Yeah. Well, I can well understand that, but now I feel terrible about my Netflix consumption. <laughs> yeah, I think, unfortunately, we're all kind of moving in that direction. But uh, it's, it's so hard, isn't it? Because if you look at anything you do whatsoever, there's going to be problems with it, environmental problems. And, sure. you know, I'm not here to tell everyone to stop existing. But um, if there are things that make me think differently about what I'm doing, then, you know, that's the sort of thing I want to share because... It you know everyone else can can have a think as well, and it's it's just about remembering to look at all of the things that you do and question them sometimes, and wonder if they can be better. I just love your attitude, and uh, oh, I want to thank you for uh, inviting me onto the podcast. And I hope that you will uh, reciprocate and visit on the Overpopulation podcast. Oh, I would love and to. The Busters podcast sometime. Oh, I would love to. Thank you so much. This has been my first um, across the pond interview as well. So. So welcome, my first American guest. Thank you so much. So where can people find um, your two podcasts and your work then before we leave them? Well, clearly, um, I would like to encourage people to visit OnePlanetOneChild.org so they can find the crowdfunding campaign while that's underway and then uh, find more information about the billboard campaign once once we've unleashed that. Uh, Pretty easy to search for the Growth Busters podcast or the Overpopulation podcast on Spotify or, or whatever podcast app you use and uh, worldpopulationbalance.org is the website where you can also find the overpopulation podcast and really a lot of good background information about uh, about the overpopulation issue and about uh, our thinking and uh, about the how we, how we can solve it how we can solve it voluntarily humanely ethically uh, w- without hurting anybody but it, but basically by improving everyone's lives and creating a better future Oh, brilliant. Well, there we go, listeners. There's plenty of places that you need to go and you can get so much more depth on this topic than if you've enjoyed this episode. So thanks very much for listening. Don't forget to hit subscribe so that you get us in your inboxes every week. Uh, Leave us a review if you've enjoyed this episode and find us on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter to stay up to date with what we're doing. Um, We'll see you next week. (laughs) 